pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the classic Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. It took uh, 195 episodes, but we're finally doing an all-Aquaman show. I'm very excited. <laughs> There's been a few all-Aquaman shows that when I wasn't around. <laughs> well, that, that's with you and I. That was what I'm saying. This is, that's this true. Is that is true. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be covering – oh, my gosh. We've been talking about these probably since the very first episode. We're going to be covering some of your all-time favorite Aquaman issues, uh, what we commonly refer to as the SAG Aquaman issues, right? Boy, howdy. Yep. All right. Well, we'll give you the details on that and just on the backside, folks. A couple other things before we get rolling we got to talk about. As you mentioned, uh, this is episode – was this 196 or is this 195? Then? This is 196. Doctor Who, 196, your, okay. your Doctor Who episode was 195. Got you. So if you look right on the horizon, episode 200 is just over the hill. And Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home why they should be getting ready for episode 200? Right. As we mentioned, we are doing a Fire and Water AMA or AUA, I guess is technically the term. We would ask us anything. So we're asking all of you to send in questions via the site's uh, contact page, which is at fireandwaterpodcast.com. So we just want to remind you, please send questions in. We've gotten a bunch in so far, and they've been really fun, except for a couple, which we're not going to answer. But the rest uh, have been really, really good. But we want more. We want as many as possible. We want the show to hear from as many different people as possible. So please get those questions in. Again, use the contact form on the website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. Let's just put it out there. I mean, David Ace Gutierrez asking my cup size and your bra size, that was over the line. So I'm just, David, no more of that nonsense, okay? He already knows that, too. I don't know why he would ask it for the show. But, uh, yeah, no, no, we will really, we will. We will I was ready oh, for that. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we will we will endeavor to answer really any question you ask. It can be about comics. It can be about some people have asked like how we kind of do the show. It can be really anything, our personal lives, whatever you want to do. It's just it, anything that's really interesting or maybe not so interesting to answer. So it's the, the sky's the limit, guys. So uh, so write in and let us know what you would like to know. 
And, and you probably don't want to ask about the private lives because Rob's sitting here sweating because I've been boring him to tears over the last couple of weeks with my woes of dead air conditioners and packing boxes and moving. And you don't want to hear all that stuff, folks. But I did I did have to do the ultimate um, sad farewell to my children. I Just last night. I, <laughs> wow. This took a dark turn. I'm sorry. Not my real children. I apologize. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, my goodness. No. Sorry. My other children. I put 49 long boxes into storage last night. Uh, it was so heartbreaking to walk away and close that, knowing that those were in there. And um, uh, it was it was so so challenging for me. Now, I did keep two boxes here at the house. Uh, those are Firestorm comics and JLI comics. As Chris Flanken referred to them, he calls those my work comics. <laughs> and I've got my who's who's, too. But uh, I'm in the middle of a move, so I, they're there for about six weeks. I'm going to get them back out after six weeks, but it's, it's hard to be away from them. So, But uh, one other thing we got to touch on. You know, Rob, we're recording this now. And when people hear this, uh, let's see, four or five days after people hear this, you and I are going to be unfortunately face-to-face and maybe even sharing a bed. No, that's not happening. Uh, in case you haven't counted the number of beds in that room, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> I, 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 I will sleep in the tub if I have to. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> between my hands, between two soft pillows. Uh, I will sneak wrong. into the Franklin's room and sleep in their bed before <laughs> you and I do a Laurel and Hardy thing. That's not happening. Okay, yes. I know. I know you're excited over the idea, but it's not happening. <laughs> We are going to be at Heroes Con, ladies and gentlemen, in North Carolina. We are excited. Oh, my gosh. The number of people that are friends of ours that are going to be there is unbelievable. Uh, we're going to do some recording while we're there, but, I mean, I will be there. Rob will be there. Ryan Daly will be there. Chris and Cindy Franklin will be there. The Franklin children will be there. Uh, little Russell Burbage, Tom Zoller. Luke Dobb, uh, Derek uh, William the- Crabb. Thank you, thank you. Yes, the Sutherlands. Keechee Baker. Oh, my gosh. The list Diablo on Frank. Our- Diablo Frank, as crazy as that is. Oh, geez, there's a million other people we're forgetting. Oh, Jay Jones and Roy Cleary. Lots and lots of our friends. And if I forgot to mention your name, I'm so sorry. We love all of you guys, and we're so Joe excited. Joe Namath, <laughs> the Dallas I, uh, Cowboy Cheerleaders. The 1978 Dallas Cowboy 1978. Anyway, I, I actually said this uh, in a thread to some other people. Oh, Stella, our friend Stella will be there, too. Uh, to some folks, honestly, the real reason I'm going is to see everybody. Like, the convention is, like, secondary to me. My, my primary reason is to hang out with everybody. I'm so looking forward to it. It's going to oh, be a blast. Yeah, me too. I, you know, I've been to Comic-Cons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go any further, we probably should take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? Okay, well, because the stories that we are about to talk about and we're going to be covering in future episodes have never been reprinted, never been co- – well, they've been reprinted, but we'll get to that momentarily. But they've never been collected. Uh, unfortunately, I can't point to InSock Trades uh, anywhere where you can pick these up, which is a, a big, big problem with the, 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 this whole thing is these stories are, are so hard to find. But I wanted to stick with something Jim Aparo-related because everybody knows so much I love Jim Aparo. So in this case, I'm plugging the complete Jim Aparo Charlton Phantom hardcover, which Ooh. collects – yes, which collects the Phantom comics that Jim Aparo drew for Charlton. He got his big break on this strip. His stuff is absolutely amazing, as you would always expect. It's a hardcover. Uh, the writer is Dick Wood. Uh, Jim Aparo drew the whole book, of course. It's 208 pages. The normal price is $49.99. In-stock trades price is 
49. If you've ever seen any of the Jim Aparo Phantom stuff, you can Google and see some of the images. It's beautiful work. He was just hitting the ground running, and uh, this stuff is really, really sharp. So I, I love the idea of this collected in a nice big hardcover uh, book. That's that's awesome. That's really cool. And by the way, if you love Phantom, our buddy Tim Wallace does the uh, the Phantom blog worth mentioning that's too. Right. That's right. That's uh, right. I am going to touch on, as you said, these aren't collected, but you know what is collected? The issue right before this. So I'm going to plug, uh, and we plugged it here on the show before, but Showcase presents Aquaman Volume 3 trade paperback. This collects uh, issues of Aquaman number 24 through 39. We're going to be covering issue number 40, folks. Uh, also collects a Brave and Bold number 73, and also Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen number 115, which I think has one of the greatest Superman dickery covers of all time, if I remember correctly. Isn't that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, writers Bob Haney and Leo Dorfman, uh, Nick Cardi's art on art, and Sal Trapini, uh, and some other folks. And a cover by Nick Cardi. It's 448 pages. 448 pages. Uh, it's all black and white. Uh, normally retails for about 17 bucks. You can get it 45% off right now and get it for $9.34. And this is a fantastic collection of Aquaman stories. I absolutely love them. So much fun. And uh, Nick Cardi's art alone is, is worth it. It's just, ugh. And, um, Again, if you read all those, it will lead you right up to the point where Rob and I are going to cover today. <laughs> it's so tragic. I know, but it's perfect timing. I mean, you know, it fits well, you know. Um, so for this and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Go up to the Contact Us button and let them know that the Fire and Water podcast sent you. So uh, if I understand right, Rob, we're going to cover issue number 41 first, talk about it. Then we're going to do issue 41 on the backside. Is that right? 40 and then 41. You said 41 twice. We're doing 40 and then 41. Oh, see, I'm doing issue 41, so I was just looking yeah. forward to me talking more than you, I guess, is I what that was. When, when could things ever be anything other than that? <laughs> all right, Mr. Kelly, this is your moment. You've been waiting all these years for it. <laughs> yes, this is Aquaman number 40. It's uh, the, the name of the story is The Sorcerers of the Sea. It's by Steve Skeets, Jim Aparo, and Dick Giordano, who shall hort, uh, fort, what's that word? henceforth be known as <laughs> SAG. Of course, Skeets, Aparo, and Dick Giordano. And Giordano. It's not really a very flattering term. No, not, no, yeah, it doesn't, I guess. Yeah, all right, okay, anyway. Uh, we hope, <laughs> don't get me distracted, come on. Uh, we open with Aquaman, Aqualad, Mira, and Arthur Jr. on a stroll through the ocean floor when a mysterious wave sweeps over them all, making them feel groggy and dazed. Aquaman gets separated from his family, and as he gets his bearings, he sees some silhouetted figures kidnapping Mira. As he heads towards them, a ringed hand appears and punches the Sea King out. Aqua Girl comes by to help, and they take Arthur Jr. back to Atlantis to form a plan. They leave the baby with Aqua Girl, and he and Garth head out to find Mira. They soon come across a hazy, walled-off castle, and they sneak their way in. Once in, they see the people's queen looks just like Mira. As they get closer, they are knocked out by some of the Queen's goons and locked up. So they, if you're counting, Aquaman's been knocked out twice in the story already. We're like on page 8. They, they come to, but Aquaman can see that Aqualad is very weak. To make matters worse, the water starts getting pumped out of the room. Aquaman decides to use his telepathic powers and communicates with one of his finny friends, a giant blue whale, and he smashes them at, they smash them out of the room. The shovel smash, and Aquaman carrying Aqualad escapes. He returns the weekend to Garth back to Atlantis and heads back to the castle where he is attacked by a giant sea monster. Aquaman fights back but finds it is only a mirage cooked up via sorcery. Aquaman concludes to scare people away from this mysterious city. The Sea King finds the royal chambers and encounters some sort of wizard who could pass as Abracadabra's twin brother. Who emits True that. Yes, who emits energy from his hands rendering Aquaman immobile. But Aquaman, through sheer force of will 
takes slow, agonizing steps forward until he gets close enough to punch Chad Cadaver out. He makes his way into the chamber and finds Mira, except it's not Mira. She's an exact twin of the Sea King's Queen, but it is not her. Aquaman de- determines it was a monstrous coincidence that he came across this mystical village right after Mira's abduction, and he finds himself right back where he started. As Aquaman heads off on his steed, he looks back at the shimmering city and wonders what he will do next to find his beloved Mira. And that is the end of this first chapter of what will end up being known as the Search for Mira storyline. All right. Well, you know what you didn't talk about is the cover. You should probably do that. did not talk about the cover. Uh, Yeah, the cover is by Nick Cardi, as all the books, uh, issues of Aquaman work at this point. It's a really nice cover. It's got uh, this sort of pencil sketch type thing. Uh, It might really just be pencils of Mira kind of in a ghostly image, and her hair is sweeping in these tendrils, and Aquaman and Aqualad are swept up in the tendrils, and she's yelling, help, save me, please. And you've got the logo kind of cresting over them all. So it's a nice image. It's uh, it, for, for whatever reason, they didn't let Aparo do the covers. Not that he was not capable of such things, but they, they Nick Cardi, of course, was the previous penciler, so he just continued on with the book, at least doing the covers. I love this cover. It's very captivating. Because I, I, I bought all these comics about 25 years ago. Um, that's when I got in and first got an Aquaman, and I made my big push to buy these old issues. And I haven't read them in 25 years either, by the way. And this cover has always stuck out in my mind as being one of the classic covers. Just that haunting image of Mara. You're right. It does look like pencils that were just transferred over to, to, to print. And the horrified look on her face. And then Aquaman and, and Aquila just look so desperate to hold on to her. You know, as if they're trying to keep her from going. It's, it's, there's a lot of imagery here that's just very powerful. And then the Help Save Me Please is in the same font as the Aquaman logo. I just think this is a very effective cover. I really, really like it. Colors are nice, too. They really pop. Yeah, Aquaman had great covers. I mean, Nick Cardi was, you know, he, how many covers for DC did he draw? Like thousands, you know? Right. I mean, so uh, he was a very, very, you know, we all know he's a great artist, a great guy, a very effective uh, specifically at composing a single image, which made you want to spend your 12 to 15 cents. Uh, we'll get to uh, a, a later cover uh, later on in the series that is one of the most iconic covers of DCs of the 60s. Uh, one of the things I think worth mentioning... Is that the, the Black Manor one? Yeah, the Black Manor one, yeah, number 42. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things worth mentioning in terms of the artwork is if you're not if you're only familiar with Apero's work from the 70s and 80s, this stuff looks a little different. This was still kind of early in his career. It's cartoonier than we typically associate, I think, with Jim Apero. Aquaman is a little thicker, a little stouter. Uh, the ink lines are heavier. Uh, so it just looks slightly different than, than what we sort of come to think of. I mean... Eventually, uh, Apera would draw Aquaman as almost a beanpole. Like, he would draw him amazingly skinny. Here, he's a little thicker, and he looks a little more like the Cardi version. Uh, not that it's not nice looking, it looks great, but it's just slightly different than what at least most of us come to expect when we think of Jim Apera. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to bring it up because it's it, that's where I was struggling. Okay, so um, I. I have a big question to ask. Uh, I have a couple big questions to ask. I, I guess I'll ask it up front. Yes, then. yes, Shag. A thousand times yes. <laughs> I'm not on my knee. Wait, wait, wait. Um, why is this one of your favorites? Because, like, for me, I enjoyed the comic. It was fine. But you're right. Aparo's art is not as classic or classic as it eventually would come to be. I mean, he does such an iconic Aquaman from the 70s. It's beautiful. It's lovely. This is the 60s. He's not there yet. The art is just okay um, to me. It doesn't, you know, the panel design, nothing about it really knocks me off my feet. And the story itself is, 
Mara gets captured in the beginning, absolutely. At the end, nothing. The whole adventure in this other city, it was unnecessary. Yeah, it's all because, for naught, basically. Yeah, it was almost like it wasn't filler because it's a it's a genuine story. But it, it was yeah, all for naught is a way to say, I guess. So, what is it about this that you love so much? You need to help me understand that because I'm not there yet. Okay. Uh, first of all, it's not this issue in particular. It's the whole run. That's part of okay. the reason I love it. I mean, yeah, this is probably not the strongest start in the world because yeah, it is the whole thing is just basically for nothing. You know, like, oh, wow, the whole thing is just a giant coincidence. Oh, well, let's keep going. But it mm-hmm. really is the whole run. Now, I remember when I was first started shopping at comic shops in the early 80s and I was digging through back issues, I, would just, I was buying Aquaman back issues, the cheapest ones I could find. Right. So I would buy, you know, random spotty issues, and I would get ones from the early 60s, and they were very kind of, like, kitty-like. And yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get to that as a, a quote I have from Dick Trigiano about that. And I was kind of, like, just wasn't as into those because they just, they just didn't strike my fancy the way the later ones did. But then I got to these, and to me, this is, like, the, the middle step between that early version of Aquaman and then the one in the 70s that I really love. And that's where I can sort of see the development here of like, oh, this is an ongoing storyline. Apero stuff, yes, Apero's work would get better, but I really like it here. The two-page splash where the whale comes in. I mean, that's impressive. That's beautiful. I love the splash page. Yes, of, I'm uh, looking and, at that right now where right, Aquaman's and, swimming. It's right. really well done. And, of course, when you talk about Aquaman, every page is a splash page, of course. But, I mean, yeah, they, <laughs> I, I, I love the, the cinematic quality of it that Aquaman sort of – sweeping up from the ground and the waves are coming over the I mean I love the lettering part of his Perro did his own lettering and I love his stuff I love the way he did, did, did his lettering I think it really fits very well I like his monster designs uh, I like the way it's paced uh, I like the, it's it's just a fun book and then the whole sequence where Aquaman is fighting the the wizard and he's just using the sheer force of will to break through, I just like the way that whole that whole thing is staged. So you know, yeah. I, I, about that, I do think it's cute that you can see the sweat coming down his face. Yes. While he's fighting the wizard. Yeah, it's it's and it's underwater. It, yeah, it it really it just I don't know. To me, it's Skeets and Apparel really kind of just ramped up the whole drama of it, and that's something I really like. But I I do look at the stories in in total. It really is the whole thing that it's. Uh, this whole run by this team, which basically ran from number 40 all the way through number 56, which was the final issue, for a while at least. I just look at those 16 or 17 comics as some of the best Aquaman ever done. Well, I'm not going to argue right. with you on issue 56, because that was uh, right. that's, that's that's the your very favorite. F- right. Well, it's not just my favorite. It's the very first classic Aquaman comic I ever bought. Ah, there you know, go. In typical Shag fashion, I always get on comics as they're getting canceled. So right. I, right. I mean, that one was, I've been canceled for years when I bought it, but still it's like, Oh my God, this is the greatest cover ever. I love it. This is, I'm going to buy classic Aquaman comics from now on. Oh, I bought the last issue. Okay. That's the creature that devoured Detroit. I love it. So, all right. Well, I, I, I heard everything you said. Sounds like a fair argument, but after reading two issues, I'm not sold yet. Okay. So fair uh, enough. now it, perhaps I should go back and reread issue 39 compared to 40 to look for like the complexity in the storytelling. But um, may, maybe that would help me make that step, you know, because I do remember like, you know, I, especially the early stuff, like with when they first introduced Mara and when Mara and him get married and they fight, you know, the scavenger stuff like that. I do remember that was more of a simpler storytelling. Mm-hmm. I absolutely remember that. They were still fun adventure comics. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're true. And they're drawn by Nick Cardi. So they're beautiful to look at. But they're they're. They're all one and dones, and not that we always complain about the stories or continue. Here we are complaining 
about one and dones when we're always going on and on about how much we like one and dones. <laughs> but like, like I mean, again, those early comics are terrific, and they feature character developments that no other superhero got. Aquaman got married, had a kid. Like nobody did that in superhero comics, except for other like the Fantastic Four. But in DC, Anim- Animal Man. It, well, okay, but I mean in DC, like in the think about it, what members of the Justice League had children? One, True. one of them. He was the yeah. only one. He's the only one I got a card on Father's Day. So it was like, they, it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like those stories are not great. They are. It's just I appreciated the sort of movie serial s aspect to this. And now's the perfect time to get into this a little, because I found some quotes from Dick Giordano about this whole thing, about what he did when he took over the book. And I found this, I found this in a book, Dick Giordano, Changing Comics One Day at a Time by Michael Urey, which is a Tomorrow's book. And it's basically a biography of Dick Giordano. So he talks about what happens when he took over the book as editor, because this was Giordano's first book, uh, first issue of of Aquaman as editor as well. Right. It says Aquaman was the highest profile series on Giordano's editorial plate. The hero, DCC King, who lived in an undersea city of Atlantis, splashed through a variety of superhero anthologies for decades before finally rewarded his own title in 1962. By the time Giordano inherited the series, the hero had become the star of a CBS animated cartoon program. Giordano felt that Aquaman's comic book potential had been diluted by overly cute supporting cast members. I wanted to get Aquaman away from the silly Aqua Baby stories and the TV show's fun characters that you could make soft toys of. Huh. Veteran illustrator Nick Carty, who had drawn the title and its cover since its inception, was revered as the Aquaman artist. Swimming against the tide of tradition and popular opinion, <laughs> Giordano believed that Aquaman needed a new look. I love Nick Carty's art, Dick stresses, but if you want to make the statement, we're changing this, then you have to change the art. I wanted to start with a clean slate, a new writer, a new artist, and a new approach. While maintained as cover artist, Carty was replaced on the interiors by Charlton recruit Jim Apera. Giordano hired another Charlton compatriot, Steve Skeets, to write Aquaman with the goal of turning the series into underwater science fiction. We wanted to explore unknown worlds under the sea, Dick reveals. If Atlantis could exist, why couldn't there be someplace else? The editor also drew inspiration from The Fugitive, at the time a weekly, a successful weekly TV series featuring a nomadic protagonist. I wanted Aquaman to wander from undersea city to undersea city, solving whatever problem there was and moving on. Uh, that explains some of my complaints after issue 41. Okay, go ahead. Well, that's basically it. And he says, finally, the catalyst for Aquaman's travels was the abduction of his wife, Mira, and the hero's search for her in a long-running storyline that began in issue number 40, courtesy of SAG, Skeets, Skeets Apparel Giordano. And there we are. Okay. Well, uh, that's actually very interesting information. I appreciate you sharing that. Because um, part of it was, I was going to say, as much as I love Aparo in the 70s, compare Aparo in the 60s, I would have rather read Nick Hardy stuff. I love Nick Hardy's Aquaman art. I think it's totally stand out. And I was thinking Brilliant I would have much, ra- I, I much rather seen Nick Hardy draw this issue than Aparo, but... He makes a fair point about trying to change, you know, the dynamic and really make a change. Well, he should have put a par on the covers then, if he's really trying to make a big bold statement. Well, I think that was. I think it even gets into that into this book later. I didn't want to read the whole the whole chapter, but it, it talks about that. I think that um, Infantino overruled Giordano on that. Gotcha. Well, it makes sense. I mean, there is something to be said for playing it safe. So yeah. yeah. And I said, I, I, there is some as much as the action beats. I love like there's just some small stuff like uh, page twenty two. There's a there's this top line panel in the middle where Aquaman's snapping his fingers, and then there's a panel three where the shading is done in Zipatone. like it's just a beautiful little portrait. I mean, it's a, all the stuff I like about Apero is all here, 
uh, it's just just gets a little to me a little more sophisticated. It goes as it goes on, but I, I like the idea of of trying to match the show, match the book a little more to the cartoon. Uh, in terms of giving it more like these crazy undersea worlds sort of thing. And the stories that, that were done initially by Bob Haney and uh, Jack Miller and some others were a little more on the cutesy side because they had a lot more of Aqua Baby going gaga goo goo, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. And all that's gone in here. I mean, all that, they, it, it becomes much more of an adventure strip, which I really like. You know what is sort of funny about Aqua Baby? Aparo really hadn't mastered how to draw little kid babies at this point, because all the images of Aqua Baby just look like a shrunken down version of Aquaman. <laughs> I mean, it just looks like a, a small version of him, you know, and it's always got some weird, goofy look on his face. Now, issue 21, uh, there's a shot of Mera, and it does sort of like, I can kind of see the Aparo I know in her face. Uh, I'm trying to get back to page 21 here. Yeah, um, there's a panel. It's the third panel. She's sort of looking over her shoulder at Aquaman as he's coming to her chambers. It's not Mara. I'm sorry. It's the queen who we believe is Mara, the doppelganger. Right. And I can kind of see that looks like an Aparo's female face. So I see that starting to come through. But um, so a couple other quick things on this issue. You know, for, well, first of all, because I'm contractually obligated, I have to say Aqua Girl. She's pretty hot in this issue. Uh, Aqua Girl has never caught my eye, even under the pencil of uh, Perez. But here, hmm, she she caught my attention. But uh, Aquaman can't even tell the difference between this redheaded woman and his own wife. That's pretty bad. Well, yeah. <laughs> Come there, on. There are some moments in this in this run by Skeets where Aqualad is uh, Aquaman is a little bit of a doofus, and there is a, a thing that 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 Skeets does rely too much on, and will as we go later on in the series, Aquaman is constantly being knocked out. I well, mean, sure. Left and right, uh, to the point where I even I even did, had a feature on the shrine called Bonk Bonk on the Head, which was just panels of Aquaman being knocked out. So, uh, well, that goes all the way back to the Golden Age, though. That does go all the way back to the Golden Age, but there's a ton by, by Skeet. Skeet, that was definitely his crutch, which was, I need Aquaman out of the scene. Okay, somebody hits him with a block of wood, you know. <laughs> and uh, th- th- this Aquaman is not particularly, like, super-powered. Like, he's really, you know, at times he's just wrestling like normal guys and gets into scrapes with them. And to me, you know, as we've seen later on, the Jeff Johns Aquaman, he's, like, you know, he's only, like, a couple, well, yeah. a couple of leagues less, you know, weaker than Superman. They've ramped up his strength so much. So right. it's, it's kind of a fun change to see Aquaman almost be like a normal guy. <laughs> well, then two, two other things here. Uh, one is as far as the art goes, it, it makes a lot of sense when you say that his jobs to go just like the old um, fugitive or in most series back then, really travel from town to town. The Bill Bixby uh, right. Hulk formula, too, really. Yep. I mean, it's yep. before then. But, and, you know, a team, everything in the 80s had that formula. You go from town to town and Route 66, or, you know, whatever. But um uh, one thing about the art that bothers me, and maybe it's just uh, – either way, everybody walks around in the ocean as if they're on the ground, like uh, it, on the air, above ground. Everybody walks on the on the bottom of the ocean. Nobody's swimming. People's hair looks like it's above ground. Every, if you didn't remind yourself there's water around them, you wouldn't even remember. It's – if you look at – I mean every panel just looks like they're normal every day walking around the surface world. Yeah, that's true. I see what you're saying. Aquaman's running on the ground. His hair's flying a certain way. You know, there's no bubbles around him. He's it, – it's it, – either way, all of their physical actions are ex- identical as if they were on the surface. It's like they didn't try and change their drawing style at all to compensate for the fact that now they're underwater. So hair should flow a certain way. They should people, – some people should float. You know, there's no reason everyone should be walking on the bottom of the ocean, things like that. Yeah, um, 
Then here, here's the big, like, sort of fatal flaw I find with this issue, especially now that I know he's supposed to go from town to town and helping the right, the helping to right what once went wrong. He got into the town. He saw the other queen, right? And he figured out all the people were being controlled by the sorcerers. And that's why they were so, like, mellow and, like, zombie-like, right? Mm-hmm. Or, not zombie-like, but sort of, like, uh, you know, chill out. He didn't do anything to knock the sorcerers out of power. He left all of these people still under the whim <laughs> and controlled sorcerers. All he did was barge in, you know, realize that all these people are being controlled. Oh, wait, here's this, you know, attractive redhead that's my wife. Oh, wait, no, she's not. Never mind. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I guess yeah. he doesn't really feel like uh, it's not really any of my business. So, yeah. Um, he will next issue. <laughs> he's gonna—he's totally gonna pull a Captain Kirk and try and change their society in the next one. That's true. So. Yeah. Well, like I said this—you know—this series definitely ramped up a little. You know, and yeah. this was their first issue. This is uh, Apero's first Aquaman, Skeet's first Aquaman. They're—they're they're getting a little, you know, again getting their water legs, as it were. Well, hopefully, I'm—hopefully, I'm giving you a few things to think about with your favorite comics and making you question them a little bit. So, and, and hopefully in turn, you're helping me fall in love with them more. And by the end of this run, as, as we choose to cover this from time to time, we'll hopefully both walk out of this a little different. <laughs> I'm happy with who I am. <laughs> At least somebody is. All right. Well, that, I think we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, play some commercials for our friends. And when we come back, we're going to do Aquaman number 41. Age Mystery Box. Grown Ass Geeks. Irregularly Scheduled Programming. These shows and others to come can all be found on the Pop Culture Palace Presents podcast, the official podcast for the Pop Culture Palace website. Find it on Podium, iTunes, and thepopculturepalace.com starting June 2017. of Mike Grell, including Warlord, John Sable, Starslayer, Shaman's Tears, and Green Arrow. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. Join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. And we're back to talk about the classic SAG issues of Aquaman. Woof! All right, this one's going to be Aquaman number 41, folks. Cover date at September, October 1968. Actually, I got a question. Was the Aquaman cartoon still on the air at this point? Yes. Okay. All right. And um, 
you're saying in the article he specifically said they wanted to steer away from the friendly stuff. So that's why probably why Tusky never made it into the comic at this point, right? Right. Yeah, he was trying to make it just less kitty. Yeah, I still miss Topo. Anyway, uh, so cover date is September, October 1968. It was on the shelves approximately July 2nd, 1968. So you buy this a couple days after it came out, you could have celebrated on the 4th of July. Cover price was only 12 cents. That's insane. Uh, writer Steve Skeets, artist Jim Aparo. All right. A disappointed Aquaman returns to Atlantis, and it's been about a week since Mara was abducted, and he's had no luck in finding her. The only clue he has is his memory of her abductor's ring with a five-sided stone. Aquaman spends some time with his, uh, what he calls his first deputy. This is the man who's temporarily ruling Atlantis, a guy named Nark. Uh, Narkran? I think I'm trying to say that right. Uh, then, in desperation, Aquaman consults with a wise old Atlantean named Zancall. Zancall identifies the ring that Aquaman describes as worn by a, a group of people, these savages tribes called the Marzons. And they occupy some uh, a, play, a village some three days away from Atlantis. Aquaman departs, this is the only lead Aquaman's got. He departs immediately from the Marzan colony, but decides to take a shortcut through a mysterious area of the sea known by the Atlanteans as the Depths. And this will take a, turn a three-day trip into a one-day trip. So as he descends into the depths, the sea grows cold and the light grows from dim into darkness. And on a ridge above him lurks these humpback creatures. They have yellow skin. They're vaguely humanoid with dark spots, and they're watching Aquaman. And they have these antenna, and they issue forth the telepathic command to uh, these, this particular nasty breed of fish, kind of like piranhas, to attack the intruder. So the fish are sent and wave after wave to devour the intruder. And Aquaman spies this fish coming after him, and he just he tries to command the fish to stop, no luck, and he turns on the speed. He tells Storm to just get the heck out of there. So they go through the depths as fast as possible. The fish are almost on Aquaman when suddenly they turn and just swim away, which is sort of convenient for the plot. Uh, Aquaman guesses that the fish must be afraid of whatever's ahead of him. So eventually Aquaman comes upon another hidden colony because apparently that's a thing right now, uh, in the depths. And its inhabitants are a race of humanoids who seem to live in harmony with these enormous sea monsters. Basically, you see, like, these giant sea monsters, and walking right next to them are two humans, usually, like a couple. The creatures are providing light, they're phosphorescent, and uh, they're also providing heat for the colonists. So Aquaman kind of goes in there, and the colonists completely ignore Aquaman. And then he hears a scream and sees one of these monsters bearing down on a young girl. He doesn't want to let the girl get harmed, and, and none of the colonists are doing anything. They're not even reacting to her screaming. So Aquaman jumps and goes after her, he, and the creature has a horn on his head. He actually tears the horn off of the creature and uses it to stab the monster to death. And the colonists all stare at Aquaman. You know, he just saved their one of their colonists, this girl. But instead, they stare at him, they're like angry and hateful. And they grab Aquaman, they're all super strong, and they, he quickly finds himself being put on trial for killing this monster. It's crazy. Uh, he can't really understand their language, but Aquaman sort of figures out he's in serious trouble. And apparently killing of the sea beast is uh, considered a huge criminal act here. And even the girl who he had saved just a minute ago had nothing but contempt for Aquaman. And one of the court folks points this strange-looking device at Aquaman. He thinks he's about to get zapped with a ray gun, but it turns out to be a telepathic projector. Images are broadcast right in Aquaman's mind, showing him the history of the colony. And it turns out the colonists sort of maintain almost like a symbiotic relationship with these creatures. Basically, the creatures provide light and heat for them to survive and grow their crops and such. And in return... Every so often, the colonists sacrifice one of themselves to the beast to be eaten. They just, well, it's not so much a sacrifice because, I mean, the lady, the girl was scared, but they just let it happen. 
They just let the beasts eat one of them every so often. Horrified, Aquaman's led away to a cage to be locked up, but he manages to break free. He makes a run for a seahorse, but the colonists are closing in on him. He has no choice to fight but to fight his way out. He picks up that broken horn he had earlier, and he uses it to just start beating the crap out of the colonists. He fights off tons of these folks, all the while feeling very guilty for beating them up. Because, I mean, the way he sees it, really the colonists are just following their own social rules, you know, the way their society works. Eventually, Aquaman uses telepathy to take control of one of the colonists' monsters. He leaps onto its back, and he pretends to threaten to kill it. He basically says, if you guys don't leave me alone, I'm going to stab this creature. All the colonists back away. Aquaman rides the monster out of town, where he left Storm, his own ride. He switches onto the Storm, and he frees the monster and rides away, heading once again towards the Marzon village. And that is the end. And I forgot to describe the cover. Look at that. That's apparently a re reoccurring problem. Another nice nice Nick Cardi cover. It is. It is. <laughs> Here's a funny example. You ever read something the wrong way? Like you read a word and it's not the word you thought it was Like when you're in a hurry? Sure. I have owned this comic for 25 years. And I have read this cover wrong for 25 years. Now, I don't look at it all that often. Trial I have of the Ring? What? Trial of the Ring? Yes. All right. these years, I just assumed it said Death Lurks in the Trial of the Ring. No, it says the Trail of the Ring. Right. And once I realized that, that makes a whole lot more sense because he's following the trail of this five-sided ring. Right. Anyway, Aquaman is in the center, and he's being attacked by these two waves of fish, these purple fish coming down from the left and striking Aquaman, and these yellow fish coming down and striking Aquaman from the right. Um, Aquaman himself doesn't look necessarily great because he's being pummeled, but the design-wise, I like the cover because it creates a nice X effect. I like the death in the trail of the ring in the middle. Uh, I, I think it's effective. I think it does its job. Oh, I think so what do you think really of this? Yeah, no, I think it's great. Uh, no, I like this one a lot. I like this one more than I like number 40. I think uh, visually a pair is bringing already a little more to it. Uh, there's uh, one particular, first of all, I love the old man, Zankal. I just love the way he's drawn. Like he's just, he's, again, he's slightly more cartoony than what we're familiar with for Apero's work, but he's got real character. Like it's a real yeah. distinctive kind of feature. I love the alien races. This is, I mean, to me, this is very much inspired by the cartoon because in the cartoon, Aquaman was constantly meeting the Bim Fabs and the Zimlars and the, they were just taking random syllables and jamming them together and making new right. alien races. So you got a lot of that here. I like on the – there's the one page – it's page uh, nine of the story where you've got five different panels of Aquaman and the camera is in a different position every time. So oh, I love that. I, there's okay. a, it's down on the side and Aquaman's going a different direction. I like the sequence where he's kind of down in the deep, deep dark waves and everything is done in shadow. I think that's really well done. It's beautifully colored. Yeah, I think I think the depths was one of the stronger yeah. illustrated parts of this because you you really do feel like he's going into like a a claustrophobic cavern, you know, in yeah. in, in pitch black. It's well done. Yeah, I mean, I said if you if you go by the quote though of what what Giordano wanted was he wanted Aquaman to be a science fiction book. This is a science fiction book. Just happens to be underwater. I mean, you could really could, and this isn't as an this isn't an insult, but you could really tell this as an Adam Strange story. In terms of, you know, he's going to meet outer space aliens. And, like, when they meet, when he meets all the people in the city, they, and the guys have, like, the helmets on with the, the fins on their heads. I mean, they look like alien, you know, aliens. So, I mean, you really could do this story. It just happens to be set underwater. I'm going to argue that a bit. I would say this, this is less science fiction and more, like, high fantasy. Almost like a warlord, Scartaris kind of story. Well, I mean, you could transpose it into sci-fi without a whole lot of changes. You could see Adam Strange having this adventure. Okay, it's, it's sure. Different, it's, it's not underwater. It's going to different planets. But in terms of yeah. who he's meeting, he's meeting alien races. He's meeting guys that look like they walked out of Flesh Gordon. 
it has that kind of feel to it, and that, that's what Giordano wanted. Okay. I just usually, and maybe this is my own interpretation that's a little off, but whenever I think of science fiction, I think of like the science and technology have to play a key role in the story. Right. And usually it's trying to tell you a tale, like a moral dilemma, a modern day moral dilemma about how science is affecting it. And to this, to me, I feel like this is more high fantasy where you've got societies and and, wizards and and things like that. Yeah, that kind of stuff. More Star Wars than Star Trek. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. All right, so here's my big thing that I and I sort of alluded to it earlier. My big thing for both issues is in both issues, Aquaman is a criminal, dude. Aquaman is the bad guy in both of these stories. We'll start a second by backing up and look at the the, the other one with 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 the fake Mera. I mean, he busted into that village right where they where he saw the the doppelganger from Mera, and he knocked people out. He stole their clothes. He got close enough to the queen to scare them. You know, he, uh, he he beat up that wizard who was just simply guarding their queen. Everything he did there was criminal. You know, <laughs> everything. Same thing with this issue. It gets even worse here. He murders one of their beasts. Gets put on trial. Fights his way out. He even knows it. He even says in the issue, he's beating the crap out of everyone. He's like, they view me as the bad guy. It's because you are. <laughs> It's not even like a Captain Kirk sort of thing where Kirk goes in and sort of like enforces his own moral code on some society and gets them to change forever. Instead, he's not even trying to change their society. He's just trying to beat the crap out of everybody. It's like, dude, you are so in the wrong here in both issues. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Yeah, helping you see this with new eyes, my friend. (laughs) It doesn't change my view of the story. I mean, it's it's an interesting idea that Aquaman is king in the 70s, so he is effectively in his mind – the ruler of these people, but they don't believe that. Like, I mean, these are, these are like these sort of lost places that have no idea who Aquaman is, but he, I guess he figures I'm your king because you live under the sea and I'm the king of the sea. But uh, I, I think he's operating from that principle, even though these alien cities have no idea who this guy is. Yeah. And near as I can tell, King of the Seven Seas is simply a title that he took upon himself because he's in charge of one city. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like a small world dictator deciding he's king of the world. <laughs> it's kind of like that one Planet of the Apes movie where they, the apes take over Los Angeles and they're like, we are now living in the planet of the apes. And you're like, well, you really, guy, just took over the one city. You're not really the rulers <laughs> of the planet just yet. I mean, there's a whole lot of other territory, but it's the way these things tend to work. Um, once again, it's it's a lot of panels that feel like these are could have been drawn as just the same without the the little background waves uh, on the surface. You know, yeah, instead yeah. the seahorse Aquaman's riding a horse. You know, on page seven, Aquaman once again is sweating underwater. I mean, that that doesn't work. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I still feel like they're they're a step away from drawing it like it truly should be drawn as an underwater comic. It does. It doesn't feel like an underwater comic to me at this point. Uh, I, I, I did think that from a creative aspect, I really like the whole idea that these creatures – and maybe this is where the sci-fi aspect comes in. Maybe I can double back on my own comment, but the, the creatures are providing the heat and the light for these people you know, to survive at the bottom of the ocean in the depths in the coldest, darkest place. And these creatures, you know, the symbiotic relationship, I think that's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that aspect of the story quite a bit. And um, I, I agree. Aparo's art does sort of come up a notch in this issue. Uh, it's very. By the um, did you did you see the letters page? By the way, yes, t- letter by Tony Isabella. I know, isn't that wild? It's so funny when you when you look at a letters page and you recognize names. You're like, oh, dude. There will later be letters uh, to Aquaman by Martin Pasco. Oh and wow, Alan Brenner. Nice, yeah. very nice. 
I noticed uh, last issue mo- um, a good chunk of the letters were written by women. Yes, I was going to mention that myself. Uh, yeah, there were four letters in number 40, and two of them were women. Aquaman had a pretty large, back when girls still read comics, because they were still mm-hmm. publishing romance comics and stuff, uh, Aquaman had a large female audience. Uh, he absolutely did. Yeah, I think it's because he was a family-oriented character. He was married. Was he he Mara or the yeah. cartoon? Now, I didn't bother. There, there was some other segments in here I didn't bother to describe, like um, Aqualad. There's a whole segment with him in Atlantis. and he's, The whole medical center scene. Yeah. He decides that he's going to get up and help Aquaman, and then he just simply trips, and that doesn't work out for him. <laughs> so, overall, it was an enjoyable issue. I'm still on the fence as far as going, uh, I don't know. I don't know. These, these aren't my favorite. You know, I, I, I can either read these or sitting next to my computer waiting for me to read is my uh, Justice League mini-comic, issue number four, Alien Justice. I got out of my Honey Nut Cheerios this morning, which uh, is all about Aquaman. As the, as the lead, and it's drawn by Tom Grummet. So, I don't know. I'm having a hard time deciding whether I should read issue 42 or should read this first. Hmm. I can understand. Like I said, I, I look, I, so much of what we talk about on the show on a weekly basis, but this in particular, a lot of this is the nostalgia of this, you know, I just, these are beloved to me, and yeah, all of your nasty little criticisms have some <laughs> have some validity but I still love them anyway. I just like, again, I, I, I never tire of a pair drawing Aquaman. The, the double-page scene where it's the four panels broken up or Aquaman swimming and fighting the giant purple monster mm-hmm. and stabbing, I think that looks great. It's just, I don't know, I have such more memories of, of picking up the storyline and trying to piece it together because, of course, I was buying everything as back issues. So that was exciting. And, again, it, to me, it just brings a sense of excitement and immediacy to these stories that I was that was kind of new to me. And and part of the appeal is that that they really have never been collected. They just seem to be this lost thing. And, you know, every time DC reprints Aquaman, they stop getting they stop reprinting it just as they're about to get to these. So it's part of the reason they're kind of hard to get, which is I think a little bit part of the appeal. It is strange that they like reprint the death of the of Aquababy, but they don't reprint this. They, you know? they have reprinted virtually almost every run of Aquaman surrounding this run except for these. It's amazing. Wow. Is there a – maybe is there a behind-the-scenes reason? I Not as far as I know. I mean I think the okay. showcases just happen to end where they ended. They were reprinted – I guess we can get into this now. They were reprinted in serial form in, of all things, a Digest comic. Which is <laughs> now we're talking about that. But when uh, DC brought Adventure Comics back as a Digest with number, number 491, they reprinted – classic uh, adventure storylines, characters. And one of the ones they did was the Search for Mira storyline, starting with the first issue. And they reprinted, I think, like the first seven or eight, and then Adventure Comics got canceled before they had a chance to finish the run, so it would never even finish. But that is the only time these stories have been reprinted, is in those Adventure Digests. Well, the reason I asked about the the behind-the-scenes reason, and I'm I'm going to uh, exclude some names to protect those involved, but I, I had a off the record conversation with a with a with a creator involved with Firestorm, and we we're we we're just were chatting, and we we're talking about why some of their issues had never been collected because I mean very few of Firestorms have been collected anyway. But this creator said basically there is a person up high at DC that's still there, and as long as that person's in charge, any project this guy worked on will not be reprinted. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, this person has nothing to do with these Aquaman comics, so I, I, it wouldn't be the same person. But I just didn't know if there was a personal issue somewhere along the lines. Um, if there is, I am completely unaware of it. Okay. All right. And, and this other situation I just mentioned, none of that is 
you know, confirmed. It may have just been somebody's feelings on the issue. You know, some people all the time think there's hard feelings. I mean, I know Rob hates me. I'm pretty sure of that. But then again, someone else might tell me Rob likes me. So I don't know. That's probably not going to happen. Oh, okay. I was fishing, but it wasn't going nowhere, huh? Fishing. Get it? Fishing. 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 Ah, got it. Yeah, got it, got it. <laughs> well, I've been fairly critical on these. Fairly. Uh, but I will say they are fun to read. Absolutely. I love the classic Aquaman comics. It's like slipping into an old comfortable pair of pajamas is like oh i love these these i do love these old classic issues all my all my criticisms are more coming from a you're gonna have to convince me these are this is some of the greatest run of aquaman ever because i'm not there yet and i will but, say of the of this whole 16 issue run these are the worst ones it gets it it really starts to pick up i still like these but these are definitely the weakest ones so how is issue 16 part of this like well, i mean 50 56 i mean it isn't it isn't. They, they, oh, it's they, not part of the Quest for Mira. No. Okay. No, Quest for Mira ends around 52. Actually, it ends exactly at 52. And then okay. they just so it's started in issues. one-off stories. Yeah, but then the but the team stayed with the book and then was canceled at 56. So I kind of think gotcha. of it as just one big piece. Okay. So we've got basically 12 issues to cover in this little mini arc we're going to do at some point uh, on this show. Mm-hmm. We'll feature <laughs> appearances by Ocean Master and Dead Man. Dead Man. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Something to look forward to. All right. Well, uh, Rob, I guess this is going to – why don't you tell the folks at home where they can see some images from these comics? Yes, over on our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, we will have an accompanying gallery post to the post featuring the podcast, and you'll see a bunch of great pages from these two books. It's a pair of Aquaman. How can you beat it? You'll be able to see Aquaman sweating underwater, I promise you. Wow, silence. I had to you, you cannot get over that. You're I really like, can't. You mentioned I, like I, six I really times, can't. and we've been recording for 35 minutes, and it's like six mentions. Like, get over it. It really is bugging the heck out of me. Apparently, I yeah. <laughs> you know what it is? It's because your air conditioner wasn't working, and you've been really <sighs> conscious of the whole sweating thing. I think that's. I told you, I, I didn't. I, we shouldn't share my personal drama with the folks, but yes, my air conditioner was out for four days. It was, and I'm in Florida, and it was 92 degrees outside. It was 87 inside. It was horrendous. It's really bad. And the humidity through the roof. Did I ever tell you my hometown once got voted the sweatiest city in America? That's disgusting. That's, that's something to put on the billboard, right? You know, Because it's hotter than hell. There's no breeze, and the humidity's through the roof. So anyway, <laughs> on that note, I think we're going to call it. So, folks, you can search for Rob on the Facebooks and the Twitters under the Aquaman Shrine. You can also find him as Film and Water Pod, Treasure Comics, uh, Such Superman. Such a burden. <laughs> Superman Min Move? What is it? Superman Move Min. Okay. Superman Move Min, because that just rolls off the tongue. No Digest Cast uh, Twitter account. Note, note that, please. And uh, I'm forgetting like 18 other ones. Anyway, you can find me as Firestorm Fan. Just for that, and we're done. Uh, more importantly, though, you can find us as Fire and Water Podcast. So on Twitter, it's FW Podcasts. On Facebook, it's Fire and Water Podcast uh, Network. We've got our own Facebook page there. And you can go, you know what would be fun? Go out on this post and just make fun of Ryan Daly. Because I don't think he listens to our shows anyway, but if you tag him and mock him in the comments, he'll be like, what the hell's going on? And he might actually listen to the show. That could be fun. <laughs> it's a fun little thought experiment. Sure. And, you know, we'll find out because we're going to see him face-to-face in no time at all. That's just crazy. All right, folks. That's going to do it. But until uh, next time, fan the flame. And ride the wave. Come on, team. Let's head to